Good day to you. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast. Hope you're having a good Tuesday morning. If you're joining us live, if you're catching this in conventional ways, well, I hope you had a good day on Tuesday and every other day since then. A lot going on in the world of sports, as there is always. We're going to talk Sabres because that shit show deserves a lot of time. (laughs) We're going to talk about a non-event in the NFL that's become an event and i don't really know how it's become an event but it is so we'll talk about that there's major league baseball to talk about was it a rat a raccoon and the guy that yankee fans love to hate is carrying their squad right now offensively and then we got to talk about cheating and horse racing go figure and then we got to talk about uh, the nba playing tournament which most people don't know much about because it's incredibly confusing. But we're going to start with the Sabres. And yesterday was locker clean-out day. This has become like Christmas and New Year's, rite of passage every year. Day after the season ends, the team gets together and cleans out their lockers and meets with the media for a little while. This is the 11th straight year that this team, 10th straight year, this team has not made the playoffs. And so there's become a lot of frustration. And this year was maybe the culmination of that frustration. When you think about the way things started, Ralph Kruger's system was not working. This team was just god-awful. And they made a change and brought in Tony Don Granado. I always think it's Tony Granado, his brother. Don Granado. Granado changed things up. And to look at their records as coaches Kruger in 28 games got 16 points six 18 and four in his 28 games Granado also 28 games nine 16 and three he had 21 points so right there you see an improvement with Granado over Kruger albeit not a huge improvement not a big enough improvement where you think you know Granado turned things around completely but he certainly had some momentum going. And if you take away the first six games of Don Granado's tenure, the Sabres were 9-10-3. That's 21 points in 22 games. You can live with that. That's You're going to be on the edge of the playoffs with that type of play. It's not good enough, but it's certainly a trend that had some positivity going into this offseason. And I don't want to say feel good, but after how disastrous things were, when you have Michael Hauser coming up and and, and playing the last few games as goalie and giving the Sabres a real chance, getting a couple wins, and and even, you know, losing a one-to-nothing game and stopping almost every shot, obviously, and, and a game where the Sabres gave him very little help, he kept them in the game. You had some momentum going into this offseason. And things seemed to, for the first time in a long time in Saberland, seemed to be feeling good about things. And then it was yesterday. And it started with Rasmus Ristolainen talking about how he needs to get in the playoffs, whether it's here or anywhere else. And Ristolainen making it clear that, you know, he wants out, basically. Sam Reinhardt, who had a very good year this year, his best year of his career, 
statistically anyway, gets his chance and basically looks like he'd rather be anywhere but to speak it in the media. And he's going to be an unrestricted free agent after next year, so he'll likely be elsewhere and wants to be elsewhere. But none of that came anywhere close to what happened when Jack Eichel made his appearance. And Eichel, look, there are a lot of rumors in Buffalo about Jack Eichel. And and probably those rumors have ramped up today. Where was he during this season? One, he said a lot of things. I got to hit on something before I really get to the meat of this. When asked about Don Granado, he said, I've heard a lot of good things. Now, Again, the the rumors that are swirling, I'm not going to go into them. You could probably find somebody who who knows somebody who knows something or has heard something. But you've heard good things. So if you're the captain of this team, you're out with an injury. This team and you have a disconnect, and we're going to get to that, but you haven't been around the team You haven't seen good things? You've heard good things about Don Granato? Does that strike anybody else as a little strange that the captain of this team wasn't around this team enough to have his own impression, not as a player, but as a spectator? Somebody who's in the room, certainly. You've seen what's going on because you're part of that team still. You're the captain of that team. But apparently Jack Eichel was nowhere to be found around that team, which to me lends credence to some of those rumors that are about. So let's talk about what Jack said. And I'm going to play a clip that's going to give you a, a, ten, a taste of the tenor of what Jack Eichel was about yesterday. Let's take a listen to this change in your mind do you still want to be part of the solution would you like to move on elsewhere how do you feel about it yeah i mean i think that's a pretty it's a pretty loaded question i think there's a lot to it i think uh you know for sure i i i would say i've been a bit upset about the way that things have been handled since i've been hurt um i wouldn't uh i'd be lying to say that that things have, have moved smoothly since my injury, um, so yeah, I think that there's been uh, there's been a bit of a disconnect. I think from from the organization a bit and, and myself, and um, you know it's been it's been tough at times. But you know, right now for me, I think the uh, I think the most important thing is just trying to get healthy and figure out a way to be uh, available to play hockey next year. Uh, you know, wherever that might be. I mean, I don't want to have the Sabres back here, but the captain of the team shouldn't be airing his dirty laundry to the media like that. He, he just should not be speaking out of school, if you will. The thing that really got me is when Jack Eichel said these words, quote, listen, my number one interest is Jack Eichel. You know, end quote. 
No, I don't know. You're you're the captain of a hockey team. Your number one interest should be the hockey team that you're the captain of. Now, look, I get it. There's a disconnect over the neck injury, whether or not he should or should not have surgery. But Jack Eichel is not without blame in this situation. He has not always been the perfect teammate, the perfect captain, the perfect player. This is a guy that this organization tanked for two years to get. They didn't tank to get him. They tanked to get Sidney, to get Connor McDavid. I almost said Sidney Crosby. It might as well be Sidney Crosby because, frankly, Connor McDavid has become the best player in the NHL, and he's taken that mantle over from Sidney Crosby. Now, in fairness, Edmonton hasn't had success with McDavid either. But you look, he's leading this year in, in points and assists. He's just had an unbelievable year, and only Austin Matthews has more goals than him. So McDavid has been spectacular. Eichel has been very good. But this team, under Tim Murray, and with the Pagulas signing off on this, tanked for two years to get Connor McDavid. The Sabres didn't win the lottery. They get the ultimate consolation prize, or so it was thought at that time, and Jack Eichel, who's a very good player. Don't don't get me wrong. Eichel's a great player. He's a top-ten player in the league. But he has not always been what this organization needs. Ryan O'Reilly got shipped away. A lot of talk was because of O'Reilly and Eichel whether it be they were too good of friends, that was one part of the problem reportedly, or maybe they weren't good enough friends. Whatever the case may be, Eichel has been the center of a lot of little skirmishes along the way. Yesterday it hit ahead. When you say things like, wherever I may be, or... Obviously, for now, I'm here. You're already out the door in your mind. And, and you've just backed the Sabres into a corner. Their general manager, Kevin Adams, who last year was selling tickets at this time, was now put on notice because Kevin Adams has a decision to make. Your three best players and your three of your highest paid players want out. This has been a disastrous run for this team. In part of my mind, I think, get rid of him. See what you get from the from the Rangers for Eichel. That's been the rumored landing spot. Can the organization's fan base take another situation where a star player leaves and goes and wins a cup? Because that likely could happen. And if he did it as a member of the Rangers, it would be very difficult for Sabre fans to take. You think O'Reilly... Winning the cup for the Blues was tough to take. I think this would be much worse. Much worse. Ristolainen, the way he sounded yesterday, move on from him. I get it that you don't want to go through another rebuild. But the reality is, what have you achieved with these guys? And to me, that's, as a general manager, you look at things through a prism of, if we stay this course and add peace, 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 how good are we going to be? Or 
if we move this piece, this piece, that piece, how much worse are we going to be? Now, the Sabres, once again, have secured the worst record in the league. They will have a top three pick in the NHL draft. If they win the lottery, of course, they, they will have the number one pick. They've been down this route before. Think about this. Since 2013, Ristolainen was the eighth pick. He's turned out to be a pretty good player, although one that's likely gone. The next year, Sam Reinhart, second overall, and Reinhart likely gone as well, and just starting to achieve what he was drafted to become. Eichel was the second pick in 15. Alex Nylander was the pick in 2016 at number eight overall. Remember him? I remember him. I used to watch him when he played for the Amherst and thought, this guy isn't even a good American Hockey League player. Casey Middlestat, who there's still hope for, he showed some signs under Granado of really improving his game. He was eighth overall. Rasmus Dahlin, who was first overall in 2018, seemed to refine his footing in the Granado time. He He's a guy now that you probably have to build around. Dylan Cousins was the seventh overall. He showed some things this year before he got hurt. And last year was Jack Quinn with the eighth overall pick. This team's picked in the top eight since 2013. That should those Every one of those guys should be a star. This should be loaded with talent. Yet we're talking about another rebuild. That's because when you look at what Eichel has done, he's played for four coaches and three general managers. There hasn't been continuity. The only continuity is the bad ownership group of Terry and Kim Pagula. They're the ones who have consistently brought this organization down. You think of the early days. They put their faith in Ted Black. Ted Black wasn't a hockey guy. Ted Black thought he was a hockey guy. The worst thing that people can do is think they're smarter than they are. Think they know more than what they are. And that was Ted Black. Pat LaFontaine was brought in to be a hockey czar, if you will, early on in the organization. Apparently, well, reportedly, Kim Pagula ran off Pat LaFontaine, did not like Pat LaFontaine whatsoever, ran him off, put all the cards in Ted Black's folder. That turned out to be disastrous. That's where the tank came from. That's where we trended to become where we are today. Jason Bottrell was a hire that everyone would have made. Everyone thought Jason Bottrell would have been the right general manager. He was not. It simply wasn't a good fit. His decision-making on talent wasn't good, and his hiring of Ralph Kruger was one of the most disastrous coaching hires that you'll see in any sport. Kruger set this franchise back years by implementing the system. Now, what was stranger yet about yesterday was that the players spoke glowingly about Ralph Kruger, the person, to a man. They talked about what a great man Ralph Kruger was. Well, that's great, but that guy should have never been in that position. Never. 
you just can't hire a guy like that and expect it to work out. I remember I was doing radio when he got hired, and I, I remember interviewing people, and, and they kind of – everyone I talked to, all the experts I talked to, kind of hedged. Well, it's an interesting hire. It could be good. But on pay, the, the first blush look at it was – this is a moronic decision. And again, this is Bottrell's decision that the Pagulas signed off on. The Pagulas have made disastrous decisions. So what do you do now? Next season, likely there's going to be fans in the building. For the first time in a long time, you're going to hear the boos. I mean, we, you heard them this year, but there wasn't enough people to really, really get to the point where it was going to be overwhelmingly loud. You also had the Sabres playing a little bit better by the time fans were in the building. So there was a little bit more positivity and a little bit more patience at that point in the season. But overall, when you when you look at what you're going to set out to become, you got to figure this out. And Do you trust Kevin Adams, who I don't think did all that well at the trade deadline, Taylor Hall's certainly t- having a nice run in Boston. It's it's just tough to think that this is going to be the guy that makes the moves to turn this franchise around. Do you dare trade Eichel, Reinhardt, Ristolainen, get as much as you can in draft capital, prospects, couple season players, and next year just go with the youth movement and, and, and repeat this this is lather, rinse, repeat. It's the same thing over and over again. At some point, you've got to find your Sean McDermott because that's what changed the Bills, frankly. Sean McDermott coming in, bringing culture with him, bringing Brandon Bean in with him, that is what changed the Buffalo Bills. The Pagulas need to find that. And if Kevin Adams... Is that guy? We're going to find out this offseason. But I don't think Jack Eichel's ever going to wear a Sabre sweater again. I really don't. The way he talked yesterday, how a captain can talk about his current team in that way, to me, signals this guy has zero interest in being there. And, And you frankly just can't have that out of any of your players generally, but specifically out of your cap. And it's just been a disaster. And again, for Eichel, he's a young kid with a ton of talent. He's still only 24 years old. He is a guy who I think has a chance to really make a name for himself in this sport, you know, go down as one of the all-time greats, especially if he goes somewhere and wins a couple cups. I think he's got that kind of talent. Now, will he be, again, Connor McDavid? Never. Never will he be that. But he could certainly be a very good player who puts together a Hall of Fame career with a cup or two if he gets in the right situation. I just don't ever think that right situation is going to be Buffalo. Now, there is the question of this. Is he damaged goods? His neck injury, which he wants surgery, 
I also didn't like that he used the words my camp, by the way. Never liked that. My camp. Who's your camp? You, your parents, your agent. That's your camp. That's your people. How about, I, I, I just don't like that terminology. We don't think it's a good idea. The people I've talked to, my doctors, don't think, they think surgery is a better option. And that's what this is about for Eichel, reportedly. Of course, there may be more to this story that we don't know. Did the Sabres make him not get surgery or something else medically? Did they force him to do something he didn't want to do, didn't think he had to do? And that's where this bad taste is coming from. These are the things that we'll find out eventually, and it won't be for another 10 years, but it sure does not look good right now. And again, if he's damaged goods, you trade him for pennies on the dollar, or do you bring him to training camp next year, make sure he's healthy, and trade him at the deadline next year? But then again, if he's damaged goods mentally, as far as the organization goes, doesn't want to be there, isn't playing hard, isn't giving his all, isn't being a leader. This is a team that's going to be surrounding him with a ton of young players. Is that the influence you want? And, and again, that's, I think, a big part of what's gone wrong in Saberland. You haven't had the right veterans with the right culture around young talent. The St. Louis Cardinals baseball team has the Cardinal way, and it gets passed down from generation to generation. And it's a real thing. And it, it's become something that is part of the culture in St. Louis, regardless of who the manager is, regardless of who the GM and the players are. It's the players have taken it on themselves. There is no culture with the Buffalo Sabres. That starts with the Pagulas at the top. There is no culture. There is no process. There is no tradition. There is nothing. There's a bunch of players who assemble every fall and try to get themselves together to become a good hockey team, and invariably it fails because they play hockey and go their separate ways. It is just more and more of a bad thing. And then you make a change, and somebody else comes in, to me, if I'm the Pagulas, you move all these guys. Start fresh. And, and this is the final go. Because if this doesn't work, this is yet another failed experiment. If you give it three more years, if you're not a good team, sell the damn team. Because you don't know what you're doing. You picked Kevin Adams for a reason. You got to trust him. I, I don't know if I do, but I didn't pick him. It wasn't my choice. To, to, to bring in a guy with zero general manager's experience to make very, very important decisions for the long-term sake of this franchise. It is not trending well, and I feel bad for the people of Buffalo because this Sabres team is a cult when they're playing well. People absolutely love their Sabres in Buffalo. The arena needs work. It is getting to the point where it, it, it needs either to be upgraded and, and repaired or replaced. And I know that sounds crazy because it seems new, but it's 25 years old now. It's an old building. It didn't need repairs. 
John Vogel of The Athletic did a story on that. So the team needs repairing. The arena needs repairing. The Pagulas need to do something to turn this around. And if they can't do it, sell the damn team to somebody who can. They're going to make a lot of people forget about Tom Galisano not signing Daniel Briere back in the day. It's just a bad, bad situation. So there's my Jack Eichel thoughts and Sabre thoughts for the week. NFL thoughts. I saw a, a quick little note this week or a podcast. Akib Tlaib, who's become an NFL announcer, is doing a podcast. And he had Jalen Ramsey on the podcast. Ramsey, of course, the excellent cornerback for the Los Angeles Rams. And the Rams and, and Bills have played a few times recently. Of course, Ramsey called Josh Allen trash back in the day and the two of them played against each other when Ramsey was still with the Jags, played against each other last year when Ramsey was with the Rams. And it was pretty interesting. Tlaib asked Ramsey who the biggest shit talker was in the NFL. The first name that came to Ramsey's mouth, Josh Allen. And he loved it. He, he was like, you know who's a big trash? Josh Allen. And, and was Loving it because he's like, you know, it wasn't bad. It was just letting me, letting you know, letting you know. And it's funny because you see that with Josh. You see the fiery competitor. I always said his personality on the football field is a lot like Jim Kelly, where he'll try very hard to do things, throw an interception, maybe look to make a tackle, say a few things. Kelly was fiery like that, too. Bills fans will absolutely continue to love this guy the more he does things like that. Brandon Bean got some notice from the NFL. Bean made a statement and in a radio interview, and he said that he would cut an unvaccinated player if it meant saving his team from going through COVID protocols. Now, the NFL reached out to him about that. I, I got to think, Brandon Bean's a smart guy. First up, he's not going to cut Josh Allen if he's unvaccinated. But if it's a 53rd man on the roster, guy who may or may not play, and you're worried about COVID protocols going into the playoffs, and you've got an unvaccinated player or a vaccinated player two guys that are almost the same, I think that's the situation Brandon Bean was referring to. And I think that's one of those things that in this new age of life that all of us are living in, we're going to find businesses, people, they're going to make decisions based on vaccinations. And I don't know that it's right. I don't know that you can do that, but I think it's going to happen. So, I, I don't think it's unusual for Brandon Bean to think that. Maybe he shouldn't have said that, but I think it's the context of which he said it that maybe the NFL wanted to reach out to make sure his context was correct. But I found it interesting that the NHL reach, or the NFL reached out to him about that. Big night tomorrow night. 
not really. But people make it a big night. Tomorrow night is when we find out who plays who and when. Well, part of that's true. We already know who plays who. We just don't know when they play The schedule release for the NFL is tomorrow night. It's an event. The NFL Network will cover the release. ESPN will cover the release. I get it. When you're a media company, you look for content. You're always looking for content. I do this podcast. I look for content. The NFL schedule release is not content that I'm interested in. What I want to know. The teams I follow, how many primetime games do they get? The Bills this year, I'm guessing five or six primetime games. The other thing I want to know, as I've grown up a Dallas Cowboy fan and been a fan of that team my entire life, who plays on Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving's my favorite holiday. I want to see what games I'm going to watch all day because I'm going to watch football all day. So I want to know that. The first game of the season, and, and this is a Bills tie-in. They always have the Super Bowl champion this year. It's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers host a team to kick the season off. They do that Thursday night prior to the Sunday that the season begins. This year, the Buccaneers are likely to host one of two teams in that Thursday night game because it's always a game that you don't bring in a an opponent from your division. You bring in a high-profile opponent because the NFL wants to kick off their season with a big game that draws a lot of eyeballs and gets the ball rolling. The two teams this year would be either the Dallas Cowboys, who play in Tampa, that we know where teams play, or the Buffalo Bills. And there's been a lot of little freakout about the Buffalo Bills possibly opening the season. And while I think it'd be cool and I think it's a great reward to the franchise, especially when you consider how far they've come from the team that was terrible under all of those bad coaches throughout the early two thousands and into the time when Sean McDermott came to Buffalo, this is now a team that's not only very good, but they become very high profile. So as a reward to that, I think it's a big, big deal. And and it makes sense. The Bills were in the AFC championship game. That's a high profile game. And, and, you know, part of me doesn't want that game to be the opener. Part of me wants the Bills to have an opener against a team where they can score 40 points and win by two touchdowns and have a laugher just to get the ball rolling. Every season is independent of the previous or the next season. They're a different animal. And uh, momentum is a huge part of it. And getting off to a good start is a huge part of building that momentum. I'd hate to see the Bills opening night in Tampa go down there. The Bucks are getting their rings. There's likely to be a full stadium in Florida. They're very much relaxed as far as COVID rules right now down there. So I I just, I'm a little leery of that from a Bills perspective. The Bills schedule is going to look like this. They play the Jets, Dolphins, and Patriots, obviously, home away. The home games, Atlanta, Carolina, 
the Texans, the Colts, the Steelers, and the Washington football team. On the road, the Jaguars, the Saints, Buccaneers, and the Titans and Chiefs. So the road schedule to me is a lot more difficult than the home schedule. You look at the home schedule, the Colts are a very good team. I think the Steelers will be very good. Depends on what Ben Roethlisberger can do and is there going to be a running game around him. That offensive line was not really rebuilt this offseason, so I'm not sure. But the Steelers' defense is going to be very good again. The road schedule, though, you look at the Saints will be tough even without Drew Brees. Obviously, the Buccaneers are going to be tough. The Titans, very good team. Seems the Bills always play the Titans in Nashville. Never up here. And then at Kansas City, obviously, a rematch of the AFC Championship game. That'll be a Sunday night game somewhere along the line. And if the Bills don't play the Buccaneers on opening night, it wouldn't shock me if Sunday night football had the Bills going to Kansas City to host to play against the host Chiefs. That would that's another big game that the NFL always wants to schedule. So I expect the Bills to be on prime time that first weekend. It's it's funny because too, the other thing I think about a lot with the Bills, especially, is how their fans absolutely love the fact that they have one o'clock games. That's you know, Buffalo Bill tradition is one o'clock games, early tailgate, party, go in the stadium, cheer like hell for your team, and get home safe. That's the Bills game day experience. Night games are a different animal, and you, you lose a little some of that with a road night game. But I think that's going to happen. And the Bills are much more likely to play their primetime games on the road than they are at home. You don't see a ton of home playoff game, or home night games for the Bills. They're much more on the road. So that Kansas City game, that's going to be a high-profile game. It'll be in a time slot on a Sunday night, I'm sure, where you'll see a whole lot of eyeballs on that game. That's why I think that could possibly be the opening weekend game instead of the Tampa game. So either way, Bills are going to kick off their season with a very high-profile game. Speaking of high-profile, reports came out of Jacksonville that the Jags now are looking to sign tight end Tim Tebow. Urban Meyer is bringing Tim Tebow to camp as a tight end. Now, Meyer was Tebow's college coach. The two of them have had a relationship. Tebow has been playing baseball for the Mets organization last few years, has kept himself in shape. Look, you already got a ton of eyeballs on the Jags camp with number one overall pick Trevor Lawrence and also his fellow first-round pick and fellow Clemson Tiger, Travis Etienne, going later in the first round. There's going to be a ton of people looking at this team. If you're Urban Meyer, you come out of retirement to coach this team, do you want to bring Tim Tebow in and just throw another log on the fire? I don't think this is a good idea. And Again, what do I know? Tebow may be a very good player. Everyone always said that he should be a tight end or an H-back. He's a football player. 
I never thought he was a good quarterback, but in college, he did everything that you needed. And a lot of that was running the football. His passing ability just wasn't up to par for NFL calibers. He just couldn't play the quarterback position traditionally in the NFL. And now you're looking at some guys like Lamar Jackson who don't play it traditionally either. But Lamar Jackson is a thousand times better passer than Tim Tebow will ever be. So it just wasn't going to work with Tebow in the NFL as a quarterback. Now, as an H-back, maybe it's there. I just don't know that this is a good idea for Urban Meyer to bring this into his first camp as an NFL head coach. There's already enough spotlight on there. Let's slow down. Speaking of spotlight, New York City is a tough place to play baseball. If you handle yourself well, like Derek Jeter, the media will respect you, leave you alone, take your quotes, and move on. If you don't handle yourself well, the media will do everything they can to make your time in New York miserable. Friday night, the Mets were playing a baseball game, and Meth fan here speaking. They don't do anything right. The Mets organization is like the Sabres organization where they just can't seem to get it right. This year they make the trade for Francisco Lindor, bring him in and sign him to a huge contract. Lindor gets off to a horrendous start. Absolutely horrendous start. Getting booed by the few people that are allowed into City Field at this point. And, and Friday night, it came to a head. It was a situation with a ground ball up the middle where Jeff McNeil, the very fiery, very good player, by the way, second baseman of the Mets, went to field it and kind of cut in front of Lindor, which messed him up. Runner ended up being safe. After the inning, the two of them got into it in the tunnel. Now, Got into it how, we don't know. Got into it over what, we're not sure. Lindor, after the game, concocted a story that there was either a rat or a raccoon in the tunnel, and that he and McNeil were arguing over whether it was a rat or a raccoon. Now, if, you ever, if you've seen the video of this, Michael Conforto's reaction, the right fielder for the Mets who's coming in to the dugout, who stops, looks, eyes get wide, and then sprints to the tunnel. I'm guessing that wouldn't be the reaction if you saw a raccoon. Might be a reaction if you saw two of your teammates fighting each other. Well, after the game, the story comes out from Lindor, backed up by McNeil, that it was a rat or a raccoon, and that was the discussion. The New York media took great umbrage to this. They don't like to be lied to. They don't like to be played. They deserve the truth in their minds. And, and that's absolutely where this started to go wrong. Did Francisco Lindor handle it poorly? Absolutely. It should have never happened in the first place, obviously. But it does happen. And, and look, guys don't always like each other. It's just the way it is. Think about your work. 
wherever you work, you go to work, there's somebody you don't like, you don't get along with. I'm not saying you're going to fight them at work, but you're not going to get along with everybody. Doesn't mean you can't work with them. I've worked with people I don't like my whole life, but you do your job. They do their job, and it's fine. It's just part of the deal. Francisco Lindor's got a personality that he wants to be liked. He wants to be part of the the fun. He's a very jovial guy, very high-energy guy. He doesn't want any negative publicity coming at him. If he had said he and McNeil got into it, it may have thrown some negative shade his way. But he concocted this story. He handled it poorly. Mets general manager Zach Scott called him out on it and called McNeil out on it the next day. But what really bothers me is the reaction of the media who deserve the truth. We deserve to know what happened. No, you don't. You don't need to know everything. You need to do your job. You want the players to make your job easier. It's not happening. And in this COVID era where you're not in the clubhouse, it's made your job more difficult. Media doesn't like that. Media is lazy. They want people to give them things. They don't want people to try to hide things from them. The reaction, they acted like a bunch of spoiled kids who didn't get what they wanted for Christmas. It was appalling to me. Look, Francisco Lindor was wrong, handled it poorly. Then the media, in my opinion, overreacted because they didn't get their way. It's another day in Metland. The Mets, by the way, had to put Jacob deGrom on the injured list. <coughs> Excuse me. DeGrom, who's the best pitcher in the game, came out of Sunday's game after the fifth inning because this, the lat that caused him to miss a start acted up again. He's now on the IL. Sunday, he was perfect through four. In the fifth inning, it was clear to anybody who's watched a Met game that something was, was amiss with Jacob DeGrom. He walked three guys in the fifth inning, gave up a run. These things don't happen to Jacob DeGrom. Well, the giving up a run, it does happen. But the fact that he walked three guys in an inning, that wasn't enough to alert you that something may be wrong? I, I, I just don't understand how a casual fan like myself watching the game can tell something is amiss by watching the way DeGrom is manipulating his arm, moving around just not in full control of his mechanics. And yet the team who pays him handsomely and should be protecting him from himself, the competitor, doesn't know this. It was just crazy. By the way, the numbers on DeGrom for that day, five innings pitch, earned run, he gave up a hit, three walks, struck out six. That's Jacob DeGrom hurt. The season numbers are ridiculous. 40 innings pitched. He's given up only 17 hits, seven walks. Remember, three of them were in that inning. That's a .6 whip. He's given up three earned runs, two of which have come on home runs. So that's two bad pitches that he's thrown in 40 innings pitched that have cost him. 
that's a .68 ERA. He struck out 65 in those 40 innings. Put this guy on the IL. Let him heal 100% before you run him back out there again. The Mets have now won five in a row. They're now surging to the top of the National League East, a division that's loaded with talent and underachieving teams to this point. It's going to turn around for all those teams in that division. If you're the Mets, you cannot get to a situation where you go a bulk of the season without Jacob deGrom because you're trying to win a game or two in May. Be smart about this, please. The Yankees are also rolling. In their last 12 games, they've now posted a 9-3 and record. The reason for this, they've been getting very good pitching, and they have one offensive player doing great things. And it's the guy that Yankee fans cannot stand. Giancarlo Stanton is hitting 292. He's got nine home runs, 24 RBIs, and a 914 OPS. He has played in 30 games so far this year after playing in only 41 combined in the last two years. Now, granted, last year was a shortened season. But still, he's almost played in as many games this year as he has in the last two. In his last three games, he's been a little quieter than he had been in the previous nine. He's only one for 11, but that one hit is a walk-off RBI single. Previous nine, he was 21 of 39 with four home runs. He has been ripping the cover off the baseball. Remember, this is a guy who you look at the last two years, he only played 41 games, but his first year as a Yankee, he played in 158 games. I think people forget that. People who are Yankee fans tend to dislike Stanton immensely because of his contract, because of his injuries. But they love Aaron Judge. And Aaron Judge, I always say this, is the same guy. Much better defensive player. Judge is a very good right fielder. But offensively, which is why these two guys will get paid, it's not that much of a difference. And if anything, I think that I think Stanton now clearly is outperforming Judge. Judge is hitting 245. He's got seven home runs and 18 RBIs and an 824 OPS. Now, he could turn that around and it's very early in the season. But Big picture time. Giancarlo Stanton's 31 years old. He's got a huge contract. He'll be saddled. The Yankees will be saddled with that contract for the rest of Stanton's time. They cannot move him. They cannot unload that contract. It's an albatross to the organization because it's a bad contract. Aaron Judge is 29 years old. Stanton's 31. There's not that much difference in age between the two, though Stanton started when he was 20 years old, so he's been around much longer. And Judge seems like a relative newcomer, still not yet eligible for free agent status. The question is for the Yankees, what do you do when Judge does come up for free agent status? Do you allow him to test free agency? Somebody's going to pay Aaron Judge. Because he is a guy that hits big home runs and people go to see Judge. He's the most popular Yankee player. But frankly, I I, I think it'd be bad business for the Yankees to give him 
a contract like Francisco Lindor just got from the Mets. It, it just, I think, would be disastrous. Now, if you're judge, you're going to try to get that 10-year deal. Seems to be the thing in baseball right now. I, I don't think you can get that. I really don't. So something to keep an eye on down the road. One career that likely ended this week was Albert Pujols's. And you you can't get a guy who's more Cooperstown ready than Albert Pujols. Pujols, career, 298 average, 667 home runs, 2,112 RBIs. He's won a batting title, three MVPs. He was a rookie of the year, 10-time All-Star. He's fifth all-time in home runs, third all-time in RBIs, and 14th in hits with his 3,253 hits. Just an amazing career for the former Cardinal and current, well, former Angel now too. But tough way to end, getting waved like he did. But at the same time, this is a guy who's going right to Cooperstown. Uh, There was cheating in horse racing at the Kentucky Derby. I know. I'll give you a second to get over your shock. Medina Spirit failed the post-race drug test. No, Medina wasn't hitting the weed, didn't have the bong out to celebrate. No, apparently there was some sort of inflammatory, anti-inflammatory drug found in his system. Bob Baffert, the legendary trainer, was shocked by this. If they find these tests to be accurate, which at this point they've already basically said that they're accurate, but they're going to retest just to make sure, Mandolin would become the winner. What happens to all the people who bet? You know, if you had Mandolin as the winner, how do you cash that back in? How do you find that out? And if you had Medina Spirit and won, do you have to give your money back? And how are they going to come and find you if you did? Very strange. I don't know how that all works or how it's going to play out. This weekend is the Preakness. Medina Spirit will be there. No word on whether or not he'll take some anti-inflammatories or bring a bong, for that matter, to the horse race. I I hear it's a good party at the Preakness. Bob Baffert will not be there. He doesn't want to be a distraction. Yet, if you've turned on any sports channel over the last couple days, or maybe even Fox News or CNN, you've probably seen Bob Baffert. He's been interviewed everywhere. But God forbid you show up at the Preakness because you don't want to be a distraction. Look, the Preakness is famous for two things. It's the second race of the Triple Crown, and it's a great party. The infield of the Preakness is legendary. They've taken away the porta potty races. Look it up on YouTube. But it's still a legendary party. Nobody's going to give a rat's ass if Bob Baffert shows up or not. He'll probably be too busy doing interviews and doesn't want to be a distraction. It's good for horse racing. Everyone's talking about it. Now I'm talking about it. I just hope Medina's spirit doesn't get, you know, cancel culture, doesn't affect him mentally, because I'm sure the horse is going to be really upset with all the negative press he's getting. God forbid he wins the Preakness. This is this a bad thing. We're going to have a lot of people writing bad things about Medina's spirit. It's going to be really tough for him to overcome all that. Because, you know, horses are people, too. Uh, the NBA is doing something that I don't know that I like. 
I'll reserve judgment on it until after I see it. They're doing a play-in tournament. This is something they wanted to come up with to stop people from tanking and create a little more interest in the end of the season to get teams in. The first six teams in each conference will automatically be in the playoffs. The 7, 8, 9, and 10 will play in what's called their play-in tournament. How it works is this. The 7th and 8th seed will play each other. The winner of that game is in the playoffs. The 8th seed will then wait to find out who wins the ninth and 10th seed. The ninth and 10th seed winner will play the loser of the 7 and 8th seed. Did you get that? Seven and eight play. Seven's, the winner is in. Loser plays the winner of the nine and ten seed. The loser of the nine and ten seed goes into the lottery. Simple, right? Very confusing. But here's why it's interesting. In the Western Conference right now, which it's going to start next week, so we're pretty close to the end of the season, the Lakers, Golden State, Memphis and San Antonio are the four teams that would play. The Lakers and Golden State would play that first game. So Steph Curry against LeBron and AD, assuming LeBron is able to come back. Very high-profile game. Memphis with John Morant likely will be the winner over San Antonio. I think they're a better team. And then that team will play to potentially knock either Golden State or the Lakers out of the playoffs. That'll be high profile. In the East, the Celtics, very high profile. Charlotte, remember, LaMelo Ball is going to be there, so a lot of media there. Indiana, who's been playing much better as of late and, and has a good team. And the Washington Wizards, by the way, Russell Westbrook last night broke Oscar Robertson's career uh, triple-double record for the Wizards last night. He had 20 assists in that one. So this is going to be interesting because there's going to be some teams knocked out that the NBA does not want knocked out. Believe me, they want the Lakers. They want Golden State in the playoffs. This is one of those things that I think that's going to create something that they didn't want. They want the Celtics in the playoffs. If the Celtics get knocked out, that will be bad for TV ratings. So again, I don't know if I like it, but I think it's going to be interesting, and the results could be really, really interesting if they go the wrong way. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. Hope you have a great week. We'll catch you next week. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast.